The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Welcome, Mountain Park. Morning. Glad you're here. You guys all awake? Oh, awesome. Welcome once again. My name is Alan, and uh, welcome to our year-long journey that we are calling A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. We're spending a whole year talking about Jesus. Uh, I don't think that's uh, too long uh, to talk about him, and so we're spending time learning not just about him, but what it means to be in relationship with him. And uh, so what we have been doing uh, over the course of this year is looking at different stages of relationship. And right now we're in this third stage uh, that we've referred to as wonder, looking at the supernatural elements of Jesus and how do those kind of unexplainable parts of Jesus become relevant in terms of having a relationship with him and being one of the 12 and what, what might that look like? Uh, we have uh, identified the fact that there are four different types of miracles that Jesus performs um, in the Gospels. And so we've been looking at those uh, different types. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the miracles of healing. Last week, we talked about uh, the few times where Jesus did the miracle of resurrecting someone from the dead. Next week, we're going to talk about the miracle of uh, entering the Western Conference Finals, uh, the Coyotes. (laughs) We're going to be celebrating that together. I just see a vision for that. So yeah, go Yotes. All right, okay. All uh, eight of us are really excited. But no, it's good. It's, good. it's very exciting. Coyotes. Okay. Um, but uh, today we're actually talking about this uh, third. Uh, next week will be about an, uh, natural miracles, miracles in nature. Today we're talking about demon possession. Aren't you glad you came? Uh, on, on Easter Sunday... When I talked about this briefly, I uh, made the comment that I was going to have a live demonstration with my mother-in-law, which, uh, you know, kind of, you know, you can call that what it is. But, but um, see, my mother-in-law, uh, for those of you who don't know, her name is Rita Puckett, and she leads women's ministry here. She's, for those of you who don't know her, this is who she is. Uh, she's got a little bit there. She's just right there's Rita, and I love being able to joke with Rita about things. I have a decent relationship with her, and so that's kind of fun. Oh, ah! okay, okay, okay. That was that was weird. Uh, that was Marsha's idea. Um, uh, I told him it was going to be inappropriate, but here we are. Launching into a conversation about demon possession. Uh, Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this is a a different conversation for us here today. And um, I know there are some here in this room who have uh, have had stories, who've had uh, some experience with some uh, serious encounters with... um, with evil spirits. And so uh, while we, uh, we uh, don't take ourselves very seriously, we take you very seriously and we take uh, the spiritual war that is happening very seriously. And so wherever we are, whatever our understanding is of spiritual warfare, about the presence of evil spirits, God, would you meet us where we are? Would you stir us? Would you keep us attentive to your story and your word this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the concept of exorcism has been around for a long time. 
and it actually is found in other faiths as well. You can uh, find it as a part of the Hindu history. It is part of the, the, the Judaic history, the Judaism and the Jewish faith history. It's part of Islam's history, and it's certainly part of the Christian story, part of Christian uh, history. It is uh, more... Uh, prevalent in the Catholic tradition to talk in terms of uh, exorcism than it is in the Protestant uh, tradition. The Catholics actually break it down into two different types of exorcism. There's the major or formal exorcism where uh, persons would need permission from the bishop in order to enter into that kind of a, an official capacity in terms of dealing with uh, casting out evil spirits. And and then there's the less formal or minor exorcism, which basically just involves prayers of deliverance and, and uh, making this happen uh, in this way. And again, I, I don't know what your background is, what your thoughts are here. If you're thinking, why did I come this Sunday? I, I'm not sure where you're at, but if I was going to ask, uh, you know, society, culture in general, um, what, when we think of exorcism, what do we kind of often think of? Often, I mean, the, think, the movies, I mean, movie. I mean, there's the movie called The Exorcist that came out. Uh, put up your hand if you've seen it. Just kidding. No, no, you don't. Uh, uh, came out in 1973, the movie The Exorcist. And uh, it was based on a, a book that uh, was based on a true story that was written in 1971. Then there's another movie that is uh, probably the, the kind of the second most known exorcism movie called, uh, that came out a few years back called The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which was based on a true story about a woman named uh, Annalise Michael uh, back in 1975. You see any, any commonality in, the, in a decade? Uh, see, uh, there was a tremendous increase in exorcisms in the 70s that, in fact, there, in the, there was a 750% increase in exorcisms in that era compared to the era prior to it. So now, uh, we can all kind of conjecture, you know, what might have been the cause of that. Uh, we're not... <laughs> I mean, we can all just kind of make a guess. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just... I just state the facts. I, I just, we just kind of deal with this together. I'm not sure, but we can know there was a tremendous increase in stories and in exorcisms that were happening in the 70s. And so uh, whatever your uh, thoughts are on it or opinion on it, what we have to kind of start with, is this stuff real? I mean, is, this, um, is there any relevance today to the concept of, of casting out demons? In the medical profession, uh, the idea of demon, demon possession has never been embraced as a valid uh, diagnosis. That things that have historically been connected to demon possession, uh, mental illnesses and physical illnesses, have been attributed to or have been understood in the scientific age as being something else. Maybe we land on schizophrenia or personality disorder, disorders or whatever. And so uh, a, a reasonable question is, is the whole concept of exorcism and demon possession, is it, a, is it rubbish now in our scientific era? Are these things just... just uh, 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 not relevant for us whatsoever? Or is there any relevance to these stories that we see in the New Testament in terms of our experience today? Because we do see these stories in the New Testament, regardless of how you feel about them or your opinion of them, they're pretty prevalent in the stories of Jesus. And so for me, that's enough to say, 
we need to pay attention to this, at least in some way. There's over 25 accounts of Jesus casting out demons. 25. That's a pretty predominant uh, part of Jesus' story. One of the stories we're going to take a look at is found in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And we're going to look at one of these casting out demon stories here in, uh, in this first book. Matthew chapter 17 is where we find our story for today. And I'm beginning in verse 14. Matthew 17, 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. And my first thought every time I read this story is if that's this poor young man's problem, what is he doing around the fire? That's my first question. Why, why is that his job? Let's change jobs for this guy. I mean, falling into the fire, that, that, that might happen, but continually, I don't quite get that part. But that what we see also in this story is he's talking about seizures. It's most likely that these are referring to epileptic seizures, which we don't connect to demon possession. And so, again, could this be just a pre-scientific perspective on what we understand very differently now? But, as we see in the story, as we'll see in just a few moments, Jesus understands there to be something more than physical happening with this young man. Jesus makes it very clear there's something spiritual happening. Because soon we're going to be talking about the faith. And so there's a spiritual element to this story. Let me continue. Verse 16. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? So the disciples are saying, why did it work for you and it didn't work for me? That's a, that's a very reasonable question uh, from the perspective of the disciples. What they're saying is, um, is, is that the whole concept of demon possession and, and exorcism is an issue of authority. That exorcism um, is where someone is possessed by an evil spirit or uh, is uh, under the influence of an evil spirit and then a higher authority commands that evil spirit to leave. And so it's all about authority, that when a higher authority commands that evil spirit to leave, it must leave. But when, when the command does not come from a place of higher authority, the spirit doesn't pay attention, doesn't have to leave. So that's what the disciples are saying. Why is it that you have that higher authority and we don't? It's an issue of authority. Uh, authority is something that uh, stirs up a lot of uh, angst and problems in our, in our world, often when there's a lack of authority. That's when my sons fight. I have two uh, boys that are pretty comparable age, and the reason they fight is there isn't clear authority. Uh, one might at one point think that he has the authority, and the other point, the other person thinks he has the authority, but they really don't have authority over one another. That's why they fight when someone's sitting in a chair, and the other one comes in and says, that's my seat. And the other person says, well, 
who says? I mean, under what authority uh, do you say that this is your seat? And say, well, I was sitting here before. Well, you got up to get a drink, and so now it's my seat. And the whole thing. And what it requires, they fight until someone with authority, namely moi, uh, and in this setting, I get to have authority, so I come in, and then I say, if they can't work it out themselves, then I say, uh, neither of you get to sit there. I get to sit there because I'm the one with authority. And when there's a lack of authority... Isn't that, I mean, that's okay. That's the best seat in the house. I, I took it because they were fighting over it. And so when there's a lack of authority, uh, uh, there is a, a problem. This leads to the, um, to the, to the angst, to the, to the dissension, to the, to the problem. Um, uh, hear me. Let me read this again. The disciples say, uh, why couldn't we drive it out? The disciples are saying, why is it that, uh, Jesus, you have this authority and we don't? Again, this is a reasonable question from the disciples. Now, if your perspective is that you do not believe in, a, in an unseen spiritual battle between good and evil going on all around you, then the rest of our conversation this morning is at best interesting. But if you do believe, based on your faith experience or your journey with Christ, that there is an unseen battle going on all around us, a battle um, for the hearts of men and women, for the hearts of people in your family, for your heart, that there is a battle going all, all around us, then this is an incredibly important question. The disciples are not only saying, why didn't I have the authority that you have, but they're also saying, what authority do these evil spirits have? Where do they fit? What authority do they have? The concept of demon possession is very rare. Uh, again, it, it was a, there was a surge in the 70s, but for the most part, this is not an experience that most of us uh, deal with or will ever deal with in our lives. But we get to decide if this stuff is real or not. Is this stuff even real? I, I'm certainly no expert on this, but I have had, through my uh, profession and, and different uh, situations that I've been a part of, I have been a part of some unexplainable, um, odd situations. There was a, a woman in a small group that I was in in, in Cincinnati, and this is a small group that we had uh, for quite some time, and it was a young couples group. And there were some new people that came in and out, but for the most part, it was a core group of people. And we had been together for quite some time. And there was this one woman who uh, had a, uh, a varied past in terms of her spirituality. She had experimented with a number of different things, and she was um, uh, certainly seeking to uh, solidify her faith in Christ. Uh, but she certainly had a lot of questions and a lot of struggles. And we spent a lot of time loving on her and helping with her and her marriage and the whole deal. One particular Thursday night where we had gathered, uh, she got particularly kind of closed off and reserved. And um, I was the leader of this group. And we just decided, you know, we, we got to kind of set aside what we're talking about here and lean into what's going on with this, with this, with this lady. And so we kind of gathered around her. We were praying for her. We were praying over her. And, and she was just kind of getting more and more kind of curled up and reserved. And, and at one point, she just uh, kind of stopped this shy um, experience. And she just looked at me straight in the eye. And in a voice that was not hers, she said, leave us alone. Um, there was a new couple with us that night. 
and uh, we never saw them again. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I, I can't tell you exactly all that was happening there. I just know that I had never heard that voice before. And so again, we get to decide where does this stuff fit? What is the uh, reality of this? Most experts are going to say that a, that a person who is a follower of Christ cannot be possessed by a demon, that the Holy Spirit and an evil, uh, and an evil spirit cannot, co- cannot coexist. They can't share the same home. And so for someone who is a, is a follower of Christ, the concept of demon possession is not, is not an option. The, 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 the enemy does not have that kind of access to our souls. But what is more often the case, and what I see a whole lot more often than the demon possession piece, is that the enemy, and we've talked about this with the whole shebang story, there are three characters in the story, and the third character is the enemy who's hell-bent on sabotaging our relationship with God. And what, uh, what we see way more often um, um, than the demon possession piece is the, is the reality that the enemy has tremendous influence on those who are seeking a, a depth of relationship with Christ. That uh, the enemy cannot force us to do anything. Uh, the enemy cannot uh, force us to move our hand or do this. Or, I mean, in terms of, of possession, cannot make us do anything. We see this in the original story found in Genesis where the serpent is interacting with Adam and Eve. The serpent can't make Adam and Eve eat the fruit from the tree. But through lies and deception, the enemy can whisper things into the ears of Adam and Eve, whisper lies about what God had said and who God is and and the grace and the love of God. And so the enemy has tremendous influence, but the the enemy doesn't um, doesn't have control over those who are followers of Christ. Now again, the possession concept that the concept of demon possession is about authority. It's about who has authority in our lives. How much authority does uh, the enemy have and how much, of a th- how much authority do we believe Christ has in terms of um, power over the enemy? It's an issue of authority. And that's an important issue for uh, Americans uh, for, uh, because this country uh, in many ways struggles with the concept of authority. This country is very popular in saying, you know, don't tell me what to do. And, uh, and I've had many weddings where I've entered into the premarital journey and, uh, and they say, don't, don't do that stuff about submit to your husband. Uh, I mean, I don't want to, uh, that whole submission thing, that is just kind of a, not a natural place for many of us here in this great country. And it, we get it naturally. It's a part of our DNA. It's actually, it's a part of our history. It's part of what makes us uh, a great country. Because 200 years ago, there was a group of people who said, let's uh, rebel from what we were doing in in other countries and other parts of the world. Let's start something new in this new land. Let's take uh, rebellious and uh, entrepreneurs uh, uh, from around the world. Let's gather together and have a whole lot more freedom with less government control and uh, see what we can create, what we can build together. And the result of that is something that's amazing. The amazing story of the United States. And it's, it's history. Uh, our DNA is a rebellious DNA. It's really kind of similar to uh, Facebook, one of its creations. Uh, that Facebook is something that is very rich, very strong, very powerful, 
because there was a, a man or a group of people who were very smart and courageous enough to say, let's try something different. I mean, that's the American story. But many experts would also say that the United States is an adolescent country, that it's, it's basically still a very rich and powerful, rebellious teenager in, in a way. And I don't mean that uh, negatively. I mean, that's just, that's just who we are. We kind of get it naturally. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, look at, at what the United States has created. The United States has created uh, Coke and Nike and Hollywood movies. And, but uh, the United States has not created a world-class composer. There's no Beethoven that has come out of the United States. The United States has basketball players who can't read, but who make exponentially more than our greatest scientists. And so there's this, there's this part of, of, of who we are that, that says it's that, it's that rebellion kind of resistance to authority that makes us strong. But authority is not a bad thing. Authority is not a bad thing. There's a time where Jesus sends the 70 out. He says he sends them out with authority over the demonic spirits. And in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and it's with that authority that we find great strength and comfort. When, when the right authority is being used by the right person in the right situation, it's a beautiful thing in the design of God. There's a time to be rebellious, and then there's a time to submit to authority and to say that it's okay for authority to have some place in my life. And when it comes to um, demon possession or the influence of, of evil spirits, there's wisdom in saying, I need Christ to be the authority in this situation. I don't have authority in this situation. I submit to the authority of Christ. That's what this story is about. It's being able to beautifully and powerfully submit to the authority of Christ even in those situations, especially in those situations. Let me continue here in the story. I'll read the disciples' question again. Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Like I said, Jesus understood there was more than just the physical malady of the, of the seizures, that there's something spiritual going on, and he addresses the faith issue. And here's something that we haven't talked yet about in our, in our journey of the supernatural in terms of miracles, but they're all about faith. Miracles are all about faith. A couple weeks ago, talked about the uh, paralytic who was lowered through the hole in the roof. Remember that story a couple weeks ago? And, and then Jesus says in that story, he says, uh, 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 because of their faith, the ones who were lowering the par paralyzed man down, the, down in the hole, because of their faith, he says, your sins have been forgiven. It's an issue of faith. There's another story of healing where a woman has been bleeding for 12 years and touches the cloak of Jesus. And then Jesus realizes that the power had gone out of him and he turns and he says, your faith, woman, your faith has healed you. The miraculous is always about faith. And there's a time where the Roman centurion, which is a Roman soldier, comes up to Jesus and says, I have a servant who is sick. Will you make him well? 
And Jesus says, I will come with you and we'll go take care of this guy. And the centurion says, you just have to say the word and it'll be taken care of. And Jesus says, I've never seen such faith as I have in this Roman soldier. It's an issue of faith. Next week, we're going to talk about natural, nature miracles. We're going to look at the story of Jesus calming the storm because the disciples are freaking out. And Jesus says to them, you of little faith. It's an issue of faith. The miraculous, the supernatural, the, the wonder, the unexplainable, it all comes down to faith. And here's a great quote that kind of summarizes how faith and the miraculous connect. Faith does not spring from the miracle, but the miracle from faith. Faith does not spring from the miracle, but the miracle from faith. Leave that, leave that up there for just a moment. I just want to kind of expand on that a little bit. That it doesn't start with a miracle and then we get to experience miracles and wow, I, this is an unexplainable situation. Wow, this is another miracle. Then as a result, we build our faith. It's not that we uh, seek Christ and so we seek miracles and so we go out and try to find unexplainable situations and go, wow, that is so better and more amazing than anything I've ever seen. So now I'm gonna develop faith. It's the other way around. It's our faith that leads us to miracles. It's our faith that allows us to see the things around us as miracles. It's our faith that says, yeah, I don't know exactly how the medical profession, what role the medical profession had in this situation versus the power of God, but it's my faith that chooses to see the miracle. Miracles are always about faith. They are always connected to faith. Now, it's easy to, to, you know, quote George Michael and just say, well, you've got to have faith. Faith, the faith, the faith. You've got to have faith. You just, you just got to have, got to have faith. And so whatever your situation, oh, you've got to have more faith. Oh, I'm struggling. Oh, I've got to have more faith. Oh, I'm having a hard day. Got to have more faith. Oh, I'm doubting. Oh, you just got to have more faith. That's not what I'm saying here. Faith is not kind of this blind, oh, whatever, I'm not thinking anymore. Shut down the brain. It is good to doubt. It's healthy to doubt, to be honest about our doubts. I have doubts, we all have doubts. Faith is not about pretending we don't have doubts. It's being honest with those doubts. In fact, this whole concept of demon possession, the idea of evil spirits in a supernatural world and a, and a good against evil and all, that's, that's hard to believe. Now, based on your tradition, you may embrace that just because that's what you've always been told or whatever careful to just believe it because that's what you've been told and careful with just dismissing it because it's weird. I mean, just be honest with those doubts. Whatever you're struggling with, whether it has to do with uh, some other faith or Mormonism or you're just wrestling with uh, uh, evolution and how that all fits or wrestling with your own sexuality or whatever the situation is, it's okay to have doubts. Bring those doubts out in the light. Expose them to the truth. Expose them to the light and see what happens with them. Faith is not about eliminating doubt. It's about illuminating the truth. Faith is about identifying authority. Who has authority in my life? Faith is about allocating authority. And by faith, we decide this has authority, this does not have authority for me. Faith is about allocating authority. And every person, whatever belief system they have, allocates authority as a part of their faith journey. An atheist is someone who, uh, who believes there's no God. 
But it doesn't mean they don't believe in anything. I mean, they believe in their own intellect. They believe uh, perhaps in the power of chance. They believe perhaps in uh, the power of probability or improbability. I mean, to me, it requires a tremendous amount of faith to believe that the universe just assembled itself. Now, there's tremendous faith there. Each person gets to allocate faith wherever we, wherever we choose, wherever we want. In the case of those who are demon-possessed or those who are uh, under the influence of some kind of demonic spirit, there's an allocation of faith to that spirit, to that voice, to that presence. There's an allocation of faith to that voice that is whispering, just like the serpent did with Adam and Eve. That voice that is whispering, you are not of value. That voice that may be whispering, you are not beautiful, you are not strong, you are not capable, you don't have what it takes. You can't be the husband, the wife, the parent that you want to be, the friend, the child that you want to be. It's a matter of allocating authority to that voice. Or perhaps there are some who believe there's a demon behind every rock and that there's, there's uh, four empty seats here in the front, so there's four demons going ah, throughout this whole thing. And you know, people who are just terrified because the demons are all over, and the demons are doing this, and the demons have done this, and the, demons, the devil did this to me, and the devil did this. Well, that's allocating a whole lot of authority to the evil spirits. And all that is in contrast to those that Jesus refers to who um, have faith of a mustard seed. The part I just read, those who are followers of Christ, they have faith of a mustard seed. They can say to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for those who allocate authority to the one who holds the hand, who, who, who holds the world in his hand as we just sung. Nothing is impossible for those who allocate faith in that way. The title of the message today is Daily Exorcism, which of course is just a little play on words and, uh, and such there, daily exercise. But, but there is a part of it where we say on a daily basis, to whom am I allocating authority? I'm struggling with this. This seems to have power over me or whatever. Each day we get to decide where am I allocating authority? Do I really believe Jesus has authority over this part of my life? Do I really believe that? See, because the enemy doesn't really care whether you believe he exists or not. Really doesn't care. Um, he's uh, crafty enough to know that most of us are not going to willfully surrender authority to the devil. He's, he's crafty enough to figure, that, to figure that out. He's just interested in us not allocating authority to Jesus Christ. That's all he's interested in. We can allocate it wherever wherever we want, as long as it's not Jesus Christ from the enemy's perspective. So when we hang on to mistakes from our past, when we are debilitated by something that has happened as a part of our journey, when we don't forgive ourselves, we are allocating authority to the enemy. When we conclude that our spouse is a loser, is worthless, that there's no hope for the marriage, when we conclude that our kids are totally screwed up, that there's no possibility for redemption, we are allocating authority to the enemy. When we 
believe that God does, doesn't care about us, that God has forgotten about us, that our situation is clear evidence that, that God is not faithful, we are allocating authority to the enemy. The essence of exorcism, whether it's on the big, grand, head-spinning scale, or it's just on the kind of the prayer of deliverance scale, the major or the minor, whatever it is, the, the essence of exorcism is declaring, is, is having, putting faith in the authority of Jesus Christ over the efforts of the enemy in our lives. I mean, that's the basics of it, just declaring, I, I believe the authority is here and not here. I don't have the strength, the disciples did not have the strength to take care of the evil spirits that they were experiencing. It is through Jesus Christ and only through him. I want to give uh, some opportunities as we close today to respond to God and to just to decide in whatever way you're comfortable with today to allocate authority to him. Maybe that's a new concept for you. Maybe that is a transformational need for you today. But we have a number of different uh, options here around the room. Uh, the cross here is an opportunity for you to write something on a card to say, this, I've, I've given this too much authority in my life and I nail it to the cross. I want Christ to have authority over this part of my life. You can come and, and experience uh, unassisted prayer here in the front. You can light a candle which symbolizes the light of Christ in some area of your life. We have assisted prayer over here on the corners if you would like folks to pray with you. Communion is available in the back for those of you who are followers of Christ. You can either choose to be served or you can serve yourself or serve one another as a family. Take the, the, the bread which represents the body and the cup which re represents the blood of Christ broken for you. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. You can absolutely stay where you are and just sit, think, sing, listen, whatever. And then over here, finally on the right, is, uh, as we always do, is have this uh, opportunity for anointing. And if there is uh, anybody who believes your experience with the supernatural right now is, is just a little more uh, severe, is just a little more intense, um, then, uh, and you feel like you need to do something about that, well, folks on, a, on, the, uh, on the board and on the pastoral team will be over here for the anointing. If you would like to just talk about that, maybe it's someone you know, or you'd just like to come for some other kind of healing. We want this to be, to be a safe place for us to talk about this stuff, for us to believe in the authority of Jesus Christ here in this place. It's to that end that we're going to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this whole uh, conversation is, is just different. It's, ju it's just outside of many of our experiences. And for many of us, it's, it just finds its place in, in movies and in Hollywood. But God, there is a reality to this stuff that we see in Scripture that we don't want to blindly ignore. And so in whatever way this is real and relevant for us here in this room, God, I pray that we would bring honor to you as we talk about it, as we engage with it. If there is uh, demonic activity for, for anyone, uh, anything that's happening here in this room that uh, I don't even claim to understand, but you understand it. Overall, God, we claim your authority over any other authority in this room. We claim your authority over any uh, uh, evil spirit that wants to claim hearts and souls here in this place. God, that you would overcome that. In the next few moments, Father, we want to do uh, what we can to allocate authority to you, the one 
whom we trust and love, the one that we know loves us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.